Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. We are in a series that we're calling um, His Wondrous Works, and I thought we would be focused a lot on miracles, you know, the things that Jesus did, and we we talked a little bit about that, and I'm looking forward to uh, doing a series early in the next year talking about gifts and what that practically looks like for us to walk in them today. But this series has kind of transitioned into more of looking at the miracle of Jesus somehow as part of the Trinity becoming human and going through all of the things that keep us from experiencing eternal life on our behalf. And it's, you know, Christmas, he became like us. So I have, I kind of want to let, I'm going to do something a little bit different today than I normally would on a a Christmas message, and I'm going to read 427 scriptures. (laughs) Are y'all ready? Yes. All the word people are, yes. But I want to let let the Bible speak for itself and kind of put this puzzle together. But it also, you know, if if you're visiting with us or you're new to us, you haven't uh, been part of this series, one of the things that we've been doing is I, I've I've been teaching a little bit less and, and almost walking through Scripture collectively kind of in a meditative process because the Word of God is alive. You know, it, the Word of God is spiritual. And I'm not talking about just the words that are written on the pages or on your iPads or your phones. It's it's the the logic, the entity behind what spoke those words and what introduced these concepts and ideas and everything into our understanding. So so when we think about the Word of God, the Greek word for word is the Greek word logos. Uh, And that word logos means the way or the logic or the character behind it. So when we engage God's Word, we're actually engaging His character, His thought processes, everything that's behind what validates what he has said and what he said he will do. He's a man of character. He's a God of character. He cannot lie. Amen? So there's a spiritual element to it, though, and we talk about this all the time, that when you engage the logic of God, again, not just the written words, and I'm not minimizing the written words because that's primarily where we go, but we have to engage it in such a way where it comes alive to us. And it actually starts to feed us. And it becomes more than just information that I'm trying to understand. And it becomes something more than just a rule that I feel like I have to keep. But it's a source of life. So if you're dealing with things in your life and you don't really know, maybe you're confused or you're heartbroken or you've got trauma from your past or you just seem to be stuck in a particular area, this may seem super basic and fundamental to a lot of you but maybe you can remember, and maybe this is a new concept for some of you, but whatever thoughts you have in life, God has addressed that in His written Word, and you can go to Scripture and discover and learn what He says about that particular area of life and make sure that you are in agreement in your mind and in your thinking and then ultimately in your behavior with how He talks about that particular subject. Right? So the Word of God, it's, it's, it's the source of life. 
It's the place that we go to and correct our thinking. And that's the very repentant process in engaging the Word of God is, well, I think this, but the Word of God says this. Am I going to submit and believe and seek to live that way? Or am I going to hold on to, yeah, I, don't, I don't know about the God thing. I, don't know if he, you know, I know it says this, but today this is the, you know, we just kind of bend and shape and change. And I'm not talking about rigid fundamentalism. I'm talking about engaging the Spirit of God in such a way where we experience life. You know, so spiritual living and living fueled by the Word of God, it's like just being planted in a very healthy, fertile soil, producing nourished, healthy fruit that is pleasing to eat and bring sustenance and life to people. This is what we want to experience in the Word of God is just this life that comes out of it. Amen? In a, in a real way and in a, in a way that we quit playing games. You know, like I think a lot of times we go to church, we read the Bible, we have these things, but somehow never the twain meet <laughs> our real life and what we know the Scripture says. And, 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 and that's, that's, that's the challenge is how do I actually engage the Word of God where it, I let it change me and transform me? You know, it, it's more than just the service that we pay or an obligation of worship. It's, no, I, I am clay in the hands of a God who loves me, and I want to be shaped. I want to desire what He wants me to desire. I want to choose what He would lead me to choose. And His Word teaches me and informs me and shapes me. Amen? Amen. And one of the most powerful, powerful things that we can do at, at this time of year is just remind ourselves of why Jesus even came and to go to the Word and let ourselves be informed by that and encouraged by that. You know, life is hard, isn't it? You ever, have you figured that part out yet? Uh, and we need some help. You ever prayed, help? You barely get it out. Maybe you get the H out. You've been such gut punched in life, you can barely get the H out, right? Help! Or maybe you grew up in a scenario where you were taught maybe God is gut punch, the one gut punching you. Maybe He's the one that's allowing this and allowing that for some strange, weird, nebulous reason. You don't really know why. It's like, man, I'm telling you what, God is on your side. If you want to know how God's treating you, watch how Jesus treated people. That's the clearest understanding that we can have about who God is, is Jesus. And what did He do? He went around doing good, healing all forgiving people. He challenged people when their sin, you know, he didn't condemn them, but he said, now stop it or it's going to get worse for you. Didn't he? And then he died for us and conquered the power of sin and the power of death. And this is what I want to focus on as I read through these passages is the fact that our God limited himself, somehow stepped into this dimension became human and showed us what a human can live like on this planet, but then also as a human delivered all of humanity for all who will believe from the power of sin and death and darkness so that we don't ever have to be afraid. So if you get something out of this today, I want you to get out of it how much God loves you. The lengths of which He went to to set you free and how now there's a power available because of what He did 
for you to rise above the power of sin and darkness and shame and death and the stuff from the past. You can just let it go. Say, let it go. Amen. And, you know, if you are genuinely seeking to live a life that is honorable, pleasing to the Lord, that glorifies Him, you've learned by now that you can't do it in your own strength. And hopefully you know that He loves you and that He will help you. But I want you to kind of get more of a glimpse today in how much He went through to know what it's like to be you and He does know what it's like in your limitations. He knows what it's like to go through what you've been through, to be abandoned, to be hurt, all of the things that we face in this life, all of the loss, all of the disappointment. He went through all of it. And I'll show you, and it might be a little bit controversial in some of the Psalms, how there's a prophetic element to a lot of the Psalms that reflect the experience of the Messiah after He died from the cross and before he resurrected, those three days in the grave. And it's a very interesting time that he went down into that grave as you, still remaining faithful to what God had promised him that he would be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He would make all his enemies his footstool. Jesus was in the grave, limited as you having died your death, but overcame death. So you have a power in you that's actually stronger than death. Amen. Amen? And this is what we can live in. So let's walk through some of this. Uh, Christine, I'm just going to have you follow me here. I'm going to start in Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2, verse 14. Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy, say destroy, him who had the power of death, that is the devil. The devil's destroyed. Is that coming or has that happened? Yeah. Now, there's still an enemy out there running around, seeking whom he may devour, trying to lie. Ultimately, there will be a, com a complete end, but the enemy has zero authority in your life. I don't care what you do, the enemy has no rights to your life. Now, you might get yourself in a place of deception and sin and overwhelmedness that you think what the enemy presents to you is a good idea and you get into agreement with it and the enemy wreaks havoc in your life that way, but he still has no right or authority. As soon as you capture your mind and forbid that, he's a quitter. The devil's a quitter. You resist and what does he do? He runs away from you. Then you're like Jesus. The enemy comes and he's got nothing in me. Such a power because he's already defeated. Verse 15, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to say me. He helps me. He wants to help you. He's not looking at you thinking, there goes Mike again. Didn't we talk about this? You know, it's just not how he does. He's just not going to give up. He's not going to give up on you. Amen? 17, therefore in all things, this, and this is, this, is, this is, 
I don't know, man, one of the greatest miracles to me, this process. And we've read this passage for a couple of weeks now, and I hope that it's we're getting more and more revelation out of it. And one of the reasons I want to focus on it is because he's not just a distant, cold God separated from your emotional experience of life. He knows what it's like to be you, and he cares, and he wants to help you. Amen? So, therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to aid those who are tempted. Praise God. Now let that inform how you think about God. And let that inform how God thinks about you, how you understand who God is. Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Hold it on verse 6 there for a minute. And now what that means is he didn't didn't consider being God something that he had to hold on to. He was able to actually, as John chapter 17 says, Jesus prayed, I'm ready to take back up the glory which I had with you before I came which means somehow he laid down a certain aspect of his glory to become like us. And why did he do that? He did it for us. Verse 7, But he he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. You remember when demons would come to Jesus and they would say, Wait a minute, why are you healing, son of God? Are you here before the time? You're not supposed to be here. It's illegal. Like these lying, deceiving, dark spirits were trying to catch Jesus on a legality. Like they were the moral standard of what Jesus could and couldn't do. Sounds like religious spirits to me. Uh Uh-oh. But what did he say? He would say, nope, I'm the son of man. In other words, nope, I'm a human. I'm doing these things full of the Holy Spirit as a human being. As an example to us, that's Jesus is God's idea of humans. Amen. He's not just the king, just God coming here, showing you how it's supposed to be and what you're supposed to do and holding up a standard. It's, let me show you what life can be like, full of the Holy Spirit, living under the power of grace. What an example. Verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name or an authority or a seat of power or position. That's what it means. We're not talking about the letters J-E-S-U-S or the letters Y-E-S-H-U-A or in the Greek, whatever it is. It's... The name is his authority, his power, what backs up the name, right? You shake somebody in the old days, you have a handshake, you have an agreement, your name, your character, your integrity backs up the agreement, right? That's what we're talking about. He has a name, he has an authority that is high and above every other authority. That's why the enemy is defeated. That's why the enemy doesn't have authority into your life or rights into your life because Jesus has all authority. Now, God gave mankind dominion over this planet, and 
That's the reason the earth is in the state that it's in is because uh, he gave it to us for a little while and we messed it up. Just so you know, sin and death is not God's idea. That's our fun little package of effect on this planet, right? And, and some people have a hard time with that. It's like, no, God's in control. He planned out everything, every little detail he planned out. Well, I have some questions for you, but anyway, let's keep going. God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And then we also understand that we are hidden with Christ in God, having been raised with him and seated in heavenly places, which means we have the same authority. We, we've got to elevate our understanding of what kind of beings we are. Because the world is starving for confident believers, Christ followers, that will show them, oh, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I'm not just talking about miracles. I'm talking about the fact that you just quit saying yes to sin. You know that our life actually looks different. Amen. We've been affected by the authority that Christ has. Because you can live that way. Don't you crave it? You know, but the, but the problem is this performance-centered religious thing has get, gotten installed in our thinking that always going to try to tell you, well, you know, you're not good enough and you've got this little sin thing go, still going on inside of you and, you know, God doesn't really like you, but He had to save you because He's just. and Whatever it is to you, you got to get that out Amen. and let this shape how you think God sees you. Why do you think God would go through this much trouble? Because He had to? No. You know, when, when we understand the value that God has for us, it, it causes us to dig a little bit deeper and want to live in a way that, that is within what He says is possible, but then also honors Him. Verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, at the authority of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and on the earth and of those under the earth, which is a very interesting phrase. Verse 11, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I want to show you this in Acts 2. And, you know, I've, I've mentioned this a, a couple times in terms of how you read through Psalms. If you want to do an interesting study, and, and if you still have a, a paper Bible that has the cross-references in the margins of the pages, go through Hebrews chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3, and every time there's a parenthetical uh, indentation where it looks like the author is quoting something else, it's most likely the Psalms that he's quoting there, and what the author of Hebrews is doing is he's pulling out of the Psalms several passages and ideas and phrases and concepts that, that validate Jesus as being the high priest of this new covenant. So in other words, the author of Hebrews is taking from the Old Testament to validate the identity of Jesus as the Son of God and as this high priest of this new covenant that we have. Are you with me? I know it's Christmas. I'm supposed to keep it light. I can never keep it light on Christmas. I swear I think I bring the heaviest, most intense messages on Christmas, and it's God's fault, so don't worry. I don't know. I just, it just when I think about Christmas, I, this, is, this is just where it goes. My heart just goes to what He did for us. So Acts 2, um, what Peter is doing here, because this is Peter speaking, 
Peter does the same thing that Hebrew, the author of Hebrews does, and he goes to the Psalms to pick out phrases to validate who Jesus is. And there's a precedent set, and this is what I want you to grasp, and I hope that it changes how you read Psalms from here on. There's a precedent set in that Peter explains that David, who wrote the psalm that he's about to quote, was not speaking of himself, but was speaking of the coming Messiah, who is in fact Jesus. So what he's saying is those words that David wrote, yeah, David wrote them, but it's about Jesus. And not just about Jesus, but it's as if David harmonized somehow with the future prophetic words of Jesus while he was on the cross and in the grave and in his resurrection. It's incredibly powerful. And so when Jesus was up on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus wasn't quoting scripture, but when it was written, because he's a lame slain, a lamb slain from the foundation of the world, scripture is uh, quoting Jesus. So it's not Jesus up there saying, okay, well, this was written about me in the psalm, so I should say this now. No, it's prophetically David, because Jesus is a lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. Those words were out there, and David came in, those eternal words of the Messiah, David came into harmony with it at that time period, and it got recorded as if it was already echoing throughout eternity what Jesus would do for us. It's the plan from the beginning that Jesus would be the path of salvation, that in Him we could be saved. Amen? Amen? So what that then does is it gives us insight into what Jesus went through for us. And it's incredibly powerful when you read the Psalms. And Now, this is why I want you to go through Hebrews 1 and 2, look up all the cross-references, and there'll be a test in a couple of weeks, but... But, but when you look up the cross-references, it's interesting because the author of Hebrews, he'll pick a phrase out of, you know, say, Psalm 18, and then he'll pick a phrase out of Psalm 88 or 42, or, and he puts them together as one paragraph. There's a point in that, but I'm going to keep going. But he's making his point from picking certain things out. And here's what you can do. Because Peter and the author of Hebrews uses the Psalms, to validate who Jesus is, but to also show us what He went through for us, you can do the same thing, specifically from the Psalms that those authors use. Does that make sense? So um, in Acts 2, Peter's doing this, and then he gets down to quote a Psalm. Acts 2, uh, verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God, to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, and you yourselves also know him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you've taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. I don't know, just meditate on that for like a year. Some people have the perspective Jesus died and then as soon as he died, he was just this conquering, victorious king in that spiritual dimension and went down and kicked the devil's butt. And, but really the picture is painted is that because he became sin on the cross and passed into the grave, 
His initial experience in that grave is what your experience would have been without him, without righteousness. Why? So that he could suffer everything that a human being might experience and overcome it. Jesus broke the power of death. That was even in that song. I love how that comes together. So watch this. Uh, Verse 23, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, having crucified and put to death, 24, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Verse 25, for David says concerning him. Now, he then goes on to say, uh, David said this, but David was not talking about himself because David, because the reference is, now I'm alive and David's dead. You'd have to go back and read all of Acts 2 to see that. So, verse 25, for David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced. Now, if you can get there, you have to put yourself in this mindset, Jesus in the grave, having to still trust God to deliver him from that place. And this is Jesus praying. Watch. I'm going to start over in verse 25. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he's at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades. And we would translate that as hell. This is Greek, the original, so that their, their word would be Hades. The Hebrew would be Sheol, which is the abode of the wicked. And if you go through and you grammatically look at this, you recognize you, something can't be left there if it's not already there. It doesn't say you're not going to put me there. You're not going to take me there. You're not going to cast me there. It says you won't leave me there. Jesus went through that place so you don't have to go there. Now, we're not talking about the eternal lake of fire, of eternal separation from God and perishing and all that. We're talking about the center of the earth. It's interesting. I know it's Christmas. <laughs> Let's pause and smile for a moment. We're talking about hell in the center of the earth. Oh, come let us adore him. I'm telling you, I was praying as all these passages were coming. I'm like, really? This is where? Okay. But I hope that you're getting something out of it. But because of the depths through which your God went through to not leave you abandoned. Verse 27, you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make full of joy. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Leave that on verse 28 right there. So, man, we just don't don't utilize the Word of God the way that we could. I mean, you know, we, we look at our financial situations and we start to strategize and plan and we try to read the markets and we try to figure out what we're going to do or maybe you're just trying to figure out how to pay tomorrow's you know light bill wherever you are in that spectrum we get so wrapped up in the way that the world processes and deals with things or maybe you've had a difficult childhood or difficult adulthood maybe you're sitting here and you've been extremely disappointed people have left you people have abandoned you there's all kind of hurts going on 
Man, I'm telling you, you can go into the Psalms, specifically the ones that the New Testament authors use to validate the identity of Jesus, and read through them and watch what Jesus did. Jesus did this. Jesus is prophesying His own future, so to speak. Jesus is in darkness, in Hades, having to pray this way. Now, I, I recognize there's like a theological split down the middle of the church. Some people believe this, some people don't. But I'm just telling you, man, you can be wrong if you want to, but he went into that place for you. <laughs> and there's so much depth to be mined from it because it, I don't know if you've ever really been in a, in a place where you're just overwhelmed. You don't know what to do. You're in depression. You're in darkness. It seems like it's all too much. You don't know what you're going to do. Maybe you've even considered, I don't really think I want to be on this planet anymore because it just feels like nah, nobody gets it. It's just too much. He knows. Amen. Now, here's the thing. You guys are all in church on Christmas. Most of you are probably believers. You've probably been believers for a very long time. There are people out there that need you to bring this to them. There are people out there in your life that need to know how much God cares about them. See, we take it for granted. We take it for granted. We forget that there are people out there that don't think about God. We, we just forget that there's people out there that, that are not educated in Scripture. Either they didn't grow up in church or they walked away a long time ago. But that's our joy is to help people know what He went through. Now, you're not going to sit down and convince people that Jesus went to hell for them. You might not get that opportunity. But you can get the opportunity to just ask them some questions, help them, show them how it works for you. And I want to give you a tool, you know, much, much like some of the websites that we've talked about here where you can go and do topical studies and fill your mind with how God talks about relationships or finances or peace or anxiety, whatever, and you just get His Word in your thinking and you, you start to change how you think so that it's based on how He thinks about a particular subject. But this tool of reading through Psalms to recognize the depths of despair that the soul of Jesus was in to the point so that he, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You know, when he said, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm telling you, he wasn't just quoting scripture. He was forsaken by God because if he hadn't done it, there'd have been no hope for you. Don't you dare ever let yourself minimize how, God, how you think God feels about you. Amen. Are you kidding me? He went to the depths of darkness for you because He cares about you, because He wants you to be free, because He wants you to be full of joy. He wants you to know Him. And you probably know this, and you're being reminded in this moment, but the body of Christ needs to be more vocal and active, helping people understand God's heart for them. Amen. Verse 27, You will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Verse 28, one more time. You've made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. 
Praise God. Ephesians 9 through 10. And this is just kind of a little point to anchor in what he went through for you. Ephesians 4. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. And that's the reference to Hades. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. There's not a place where you might find yourself that Jesus hasn't been to and defeated. Nothing is too strong for you when you allow Christ to help you. And I don't mean a help where you're like, Jesus, fix me! When you're waiting and you're full of doubt because you got to harmonize faith with grace to strengthen and empower you to live within it, right? He's not just going to wave a magic wand and fix it for you. You ever prayed that way? Most of us pray that way. So then what I want to walk through, and this is will end on this, but I want to walk through this particular psalm. And this is Psalm um, 88. And it's, it's only about 16 or 18 verses. We've already read more than that. But I want to walk through it together. And I just, again, I just want you to harmonize with the idea of what he went through for you. Because when you need help from him, you need to understand that he's like this. Amen? So, Psalm 88, uh, O Lord, God of my salvation. Now, this is one of the ones that the author of Hebrews used to validate that these psalms are the first-person words of the Messiah. So in other words, you can view this as the Messiah is saying this. You've all heard, um, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you see that reflected in the psalms. It's the same with dozens of the psalms. It's really, really powerful when you, when you see it and engage it. But it's first-person prophetic of the Messiah. O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles. You ever felt that way? I know it's Christmas. I don't want to be a downer, but I, but I, I want to encourage you. I want you to know you can go to him for help. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to the grave. I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I'm like a man who has no strength, adrift among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more and who are cut off from your hand. You've laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. Now, so what you also need to be able to do is when you read through this is recognize there's an exchange in this. He went through this so that I can be free from this. God will not lay you in the pit. God will not place you in the darkness. For those that don't choose him, they choose the darkness. I'm not saying everybody's saved. I'm just saying he knows what you're going through. And you've afflicted me with all your waves. Now, so God afflicted Jesus so that he doesn't have to afflict you. He bore all of it. You just stop and think about that. So verse 8, you've put away my acquaintances far from me. You've made me an abomination to them. Who's he talking about? Yeah, his disciples. Peter denied him, you know. This might even be 
imagery of him on the cross, thinking these things, what he's going through on the cross. He wasn't just pretending to be nailed to that cross. He was going through it, watching them, abandon him. You've made me an abomination to them. I am shut up and I cannot get out. You ever feel trapped? My eye wastes away because of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon you. I have stretched out my hands to you. Will you work wonders for the dead? I love that. Will you work wonders for the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you? You've, I mean, you've almost even a sense of doubt in there. Verse 11. Shall your love and kindness be declared in the grave or your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Shall your wonders be known in the dark and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? I mean, he's feeling it. But to you I've cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I've been afflicted and ready to die for my youth. I suffer your terrors. I'm distraught. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. Man. And if you can connect with it, you should be praising God right about now. Because this is not your future. This is not your plight because of what he went through on your behalf. Your terrors have cut me off. They came around me all day long like water. They engulfed me altogether. Loved one and friend you've put far from me and my acquaintances into darkness. Man. Sorry, Merry Christmas. <laughs> I know it's kind of heavy, but I, I, I just feel like the Lord wanted to get it across to us. The depths the depths of which he went through so that we could be his family, so that we could be with him, so that we could live footloose and fancy free. Do people still say that? Well, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> but we could just live carefree, light, merry and bright. Somebody's got to have a merry and bright sweatshirt on today. I've seen them all over, all crisp, all season long. You know, full of hope because of what he went through. But seriously recognizing there's people out there that still feel this way, aren't there? And maybe you even feel this way. Maybe you have a hard time connecting with what he feels for you, what he went through for you. But I just want us to pray for just a moment. And um, Josh, can you come up? We didn't talk about, is he in here? Can you come up? Yeah. Actually, both, both of you come up, yeah. We'll end in worship. Should we do a song? Can everybody do a song? You want to do a song? Y'all come up here and figure out which song you want to do. Did we run Lyle off? But as they worship and as we worship together and we lift up our hearts and we're grateful and we're thankful for just a moment, I just want you to close your eyes and just thank him. Jesus, thank you. I don't, you know, maybe you don't really fully understand how this would have happened, how he went through it. Maybe you didn't really personally fully connect with reading through, and that's okay. I'm not trying to make you feel some kind of emotion. I just want you to know how much, how personally God takes your salvation. 
And then I do want you to do this. I want you to ask the Lord, who do you want me to minister to? Who do you want me to tell about your goodness? And just see if anybody comes to mind. See if anybody comes to your thinking. If you're a visual person, you might see their face. Maybe you're thinking about them. And maybe somebody came up in your heart and you're like, "Mm -mm, not them. I'm not talking to them. I'm not going to pray for them. That's the very person you need to pray for. That's the very person. You know, think about what Jesus went through. Man, they're whipping him, beating him, ridiculing him, making fun of him. Surely we can pray for somebody that we don't like. Surely we can pray for somebody that said mean things. Because there's deliverance in that for you. There's freedom and forgiveness in it for you. And it changes your tone toward them. Jesus, thank you for your spirit. Strengthening us, guiding us, not leaving us abandoned. Always willing to help us. Always willing to give us wisdom and strength and guidance. Keeping us anchored in your truth. We want to be lights in this world for you. We want to be gospel spreaders. We want to be people that others come to, to hear and know about God. Jesus, we worship you. We trust you. Let's just stand up if you would. They'll just do one song for us. Father, we thank you. We love you. We thank you for the plan of salvation. We want to take our Christianity seriously, but we want to live in joy, full-faced in worship towards you. Jesus, we praise your name. Hallelujah. Now just, just shift your heart and your thinking to gratefulness toward him, to worship toward him. Jesus, we love you. We magnify your name. Just tell him that you love him. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. And I'll say this, if you're in this place today, before we enter into worship here, if you're in this place and you've never said yes to him and you want to today, you want to say yes for the first time, Jesus, you're my Lord, you're my God. You want to receive salvation. Just lift up your hand. Lift up your hand and wave it at me so I can see your hand. You just want to say yes to him for the first time today. And if there's anybody watching online, we have a video that will walk you through a prayer. Hallelujah. We praise you. We praise you. Thank you. Lord.